Matthew chapter 13. We started this message last week. Uh, remember our theme for this year is each one reach one. And we started talking a bit about uh, the parable of the sower. Talking, we, we've kind of gone through the first part of the year talking about uh, evangelism and the need to evangelize. We looked at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And and what the first part of the Great Commission was about, go and tell people, go and share the gospel with people. It's what, uh, we, what Aaron prayed about, the, uh, the, the Franklin Graham crusade coming up, sharing our faith. And we talked about the importance of that and how it's each one of our responsibility to tell others about Jesus Christ. We can't get away from that responsibility. We can shirk it, but we cannot take, take ownership of it, but we can't get away from the fact that that responsibility to share our faith is on all of us. And so we started talking uh, about the third part of the Great Commission, what the church's role in the Great Commission is. Great Commission we find in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Teaching them. Teaching them is what we are going to be talking about for the next several months. The importance, the responsibility on, on the church to teach each other, to teach our members, to teach those who have come and chosen to join in our congregation about their faith. The importance of understanding and what their faith means. And more importantly, I think most important of all, how that faith applies to everyday life. I, I look at my faith and I'm, in my life period, I'm, I try to be very practical. There's not a lot of uh, I don't like a lot of nonsense. Maybe it's because I'm older, but I think I've always been that way. I like things to be very practical. I don't like a lot of wasted time and wasted space. I just, if I've got, if, if something's going to be there, I want to get to the end of it first and see, well, what's the benefit? Because if, if there's absolutely no benefit for my life, then I don't really know if I want to invest my time. But um, when, we, when we look at the Great Commission in the church, it's important that we understand what the purpose of it is all about and why it is so important and so vital that you as an individual buy into your faith and learn about your faith. And last week we started talking about it a little bit. I want to review some of the things we said. What is the church's role in the Great Commission? We said these things. It should be up on the screen. To make disciples. And a disciple is a follower with a purpose. That's what a disciple is. Remember, you can be a Christian, you can be a believer in Jesus, but not be a disciple. Okay? Now, people uh, want to equate them as the same, but they're not. You can be a follower of Jesus. You can, have, you can have accepted him as your savior and not be a disciple. Because a disciple of Jesus Christ is a follower with a purpose. A follower is truly trying to learn about their faith, incorporate their faith, and make it practical in their everyday life. Then we said this, uh, the second part is to equip, train, uh, equip and train believers of all levels of spiritual life and growth to live out their faith effectively. I've got to find a place where this fan isn't blowing right on me. Uh, so I'll move over here. Apologies over here, I promise I'll wander over that way, okay? And I'm still within the zone, so I'm all right. 
right? Thirdly, it's to provide, explain, and even manufacture opportunities for members to connect with those outside of faith. For those of you who weren't here last week, we talked about that, and we spent a little bit of time talking about manufacturing, because people get hung up on that. What do you mean you're going to manufacture things? Well, that's what our Easter egg hunt is. That's what our car show is. So all these things are the tag sale coming up. These are manufactured events by the church to give you opportunities to connect with people that you wouldn't normally connect with and to make that uh, initial joining together of people so that you can start sharing your faith. And then to support members in all phases and times of life in victory as well as crisis. I said this uh, last week because we, we started, uh, we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower. And it's important that we understand when it comes to the phrase teaching them, that as a church, not effectively teaching our faith to new believers and our children simply ensures that our church and our faith will grow weak and effective and ineffective and eventually die out. If we don't teach our faith to new believers and to our children, and not just new believers, but to all believers, to each and every one of us, we all must... Um, Continue the discipleship process. Uh, this morning, usually on Sunday mornings, um, <clears throat> we, we don't put on a lot of, uh, on the TV, we don't put a lot of uh, you know, cartoons and things on. It's usually VeggieTales, right? VeggieTales on Sunday morning, because we want, we want that focus to start shifting. But this morning, I, uh, the boys were out hitting the, I bought them the Hurricane. Anybody ever seen the Hurricane 4? It's a batting trainer. And it's got a ball on a stand, and you swing. It helps your swing. You can adjust it, so you can adjust to hit the high pitch, hit the low pitch, hit the medium pitch. And it, it's just a trainer. We just keep hitting it, and the ball goes around. That's what Aaron was hitting last night about 9.45 when I came back from my prayer drive. And Aaron has narcolepsy, <laughs> and with narcolepsy comes sleepwalking and sleep talking. It's the first time she's actually left the house. Which was a little, and I was a little concerned because when I came home from my prayer drive, her purse and a and a bottle of drink, of Gatorade, yeah, <laughs> bottle of something, Gatorade, right? That whole water into wine thing. Um, no, just kidding, just kidding. She had a bottle of Gatorade, and it's sitting on the steps, and I'm like, my my lord, did did Aaron get in the car and drive while she was asleep, and uh, and. She doesn't remember most of what happens during those times. But I said, I told her, I said, you're going to be very sore in the morning. Because she was swinging that bat with abandon, man, with reckless abandon. And hitting that ball, too. I mean, she had really worked. Dad gave her some good tips, and it was working well, right? And she woke up this morning. She says, no lie. She said, oh, my back hurts. Like, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Um, but now, how did I get on that? You were talking about the baseball thing, the trainer. Oh, the trainer, yes. And, uh, yeah, see, the, yeah, that's gone. Oh, on the TV, that's right, that's right. So Gabriel and Michael got up, and uh, Aaron had bought them new bats yesterday, too. Um, so they, were out, they went out this morning in their pajamas and put on their new shoes that light up, asked them about their new shoes that light up. Gosh, they'll be more than happy. They've got, a, they've got a port that you plug in and they charge and they'll blink and they're crazy. They're crazy. Anyway, so they're out there swinging and I decided, you know what? I'm not going to watch VeggieTales because I really don't like VeggieTales. 
Um, so I searched through, and Steve Furtick was on. He's a pastor, the pastor of Elevation Church. And uh, listen to his message. And then Dr. James Merritt came on after him. Dr. James Merritt is, uh, I've got a heart for his ministry. I just love his ministry. And watching him as an older pastor, as he's uh, transitioned his church um, seamlessly into a new way of, of ministering, a new style of ministry. And uh, listen to him. And it kind of put us behind, but I needed that. I was hungry for that. And it, it really recharged my soul and recharged my batteries. It was, a, it was a long week, a long week of ministry, tough week of ministry. And I know that when those times come and when I feel that weakness in my spirit, and I think you guys know what I'm talking about, when I feel that weakness in my spirit and that, the, where, where I feel like I'm getting close to running on empty and the fumes are starting to make the car go, um, I know I really need to recharge. After listening to these two guys, I was like, can I get the transcript so I got something to preach? I mean, these are good messages, you know? It was awesome. But we all get to those points, and it's important that every one of us understand that you are not the one exception to the rule. You are not the one that can get by without being discipled. You are not the one that can get by without having connections in your life that make you a better Christian. Let's just put it point blank and personal. You need to have connections in your life. You're not the one that everybody needs to look up to. You are just like the rest of us who need to be connected to others. Gabriel and Michael, Aaron found shoes that light up, and they were on clearance, and there's a reason why, right? Because uh, they'll, they'll give you a, uh, a migraine if you look at those shoes too long, because they keep blinking. They keep blinking. It's like, stop! They're trying to br- I'm trying to brush my teeth, and their shoes are blinking. It's like, oh my God! But those shoes, man, they will be the brightest light. I mean, we'll be able to track them for miles at night with those shoes on, unless they don't plug them in. And if they don't charge those shoes up, and Gabriel is terrified. He's terrified of his electronic devices not being charged. Gabriel, they're, they're not, he doesn't quite comprehend the percentage yet. So it gets it. Daddy, it's at 91. It's like, Gabriel, that's a lot. No, I got to plug it in. No, you don't. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. And Daddy, it's at 70. I got to plug it in. No, you're still good. You're still good. But those shoes will give light unless they haven't been plugged in, unless they haven't been recharged. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is the recharging of your spirit, the, the growth of your spirit. And every one of us needs that. Then we, uh, then we talked about some different ways that a church grows very quickly. So there's three different ways. Organic growth, which is new believers. We said there's transfer growth which so many, many people have a, a hard time with, but transfer growth is not church hopping. There's a difference between the two. Many times transfer growth, people move from a different area or God leads somebody away from a church to a different church. There's nothing wrong with that. If, God is, if, if you know that God is leading you somewhere else because you have a gift and talent that that church needs, that's, a, that's an awesome thing. Some people are ministry locked and they'll never be able to serve in the church they're at because somebody is doing that already or there's a team doing that so, and you have the leadership ability. And say, so transfer growth is a good thing as long as those people get plugged in and get active. And then uh, there's generational growth, which we're experiencing quite a bit in our church. All three can be effective in building 
a strong and thriving church as long as that church has the system in place to teach, train, and develop the members of their body in knowing, living, and sharing their faith, and that system is called discipleship. Got to have a discipleship program. Then we talked about some facts about discipleship in a church, that not everyone will make themselves a disciple, but everyone needs to be discipled. Not everyone will make themselves a disciple. Some of you are sitting here right now saying, I hear what you're saying, but I don't need that. Okay, let's just be honest. Some, some people will say, I, I don't need that. That's not me. I can do it on my own. I have internet access. Okay? All right. If that's how you feel, then the only person you're fooling is yourself. Okay, understand that. The only person you're fooling is yourself. Sometimes you need a storyteller to explain the story to you. Jesus chose, now, the, the minute you think that you're too far beyond somebody else discipling you, remember this. Jesus chose 12 men and spent three years discipling them. And after he left, they continued to meet together and help each other. Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, was discipled for many, many years before he went into ministry. So don't think you're the exception to the rule. No one ever reaches the end of the true discipleship process. Constant lifelong growth is the model God challenges us to follow. We said this, a church's health is not found in its financial bottom line or its attendance numbers. It's found in the depth of its members and their active spiritual growth. And we said an effective discipleship program is, not, is easily accessed, easily followed, and readily available. We're putting together a discipleship team. And what we're going to be doing is putting together the discipleship program. And like I said, we're going to be doing it in like four-week chunks. And you're going to four weeks, and then you're going to be able to learn that and apply it to your life. And then we'll do another four in different levels of discipleship. One of the things that we talked about this week was, uh, was doing it online, because so many people do things online, but not just to have an online program, an interactive online program where you will be able to be at home and, and have a conversation online with the person that's discipling you. So you can ask those questions you go through. And then we also talked about uh, like a, um, having me do a, a lesson that you can watch online and then we can talk about it later. So there's a lot of different things because I think a discipleship program, it needs to be user-friendly, right? A an effective church discipleship program is user-friendly. In this day and age, if you can't effectively make a program that everyone can access, you're just not paying attention today. There are so many ways. If you can, listen, if you can do your taxes on your cell phone, you should be able to access discipleship easily through your church, right? No doubt about it. And we said, um, we, because we want people to want to be a part of it. An effective discipleship program is a circle of life. New believers are birthed into faith, grown to maturity. Then they reach others and are birthed into faith and grow, and the cycle never ends and lastly, we said an effective discipleship program reaches all believers where they are and on their own level of understanding. That brings us to the parable of the sower. Let's go ahead and read uh, Matthew chapter 13, beginning of one, uh, verse 1. On that day, Jesus went out, to the house, out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground 
and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. Jump down to verse 18. So listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word. But the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on the good ground... This is the one who hears and understands the word, who produces fruit and yields some 100, some 60, and some 30 times what was sown. This parable speaks to different levels of faith and life. This parable speaks to us as individuals and how we grow and how we accept the word of God and how uh, we allow it to change us and make us better. I want to look at these different soils over the next two weeks. These four different kinds of soil. And what these soils are, are lives. They're kinds of people. The kinds of lives that are represented throughout, not just throughout the church, but throughout the world. And I want to look at them as people, who they are, what what the issue with them is, and how we can minister to them. Okay, the first one is what the Bible calls the wayside soil. A wayside soil is kind of like when you're walking a dirt path or a dirt road, right? It's the hard packed ground that a seed will be thrown on and it's just not going to take root because it's like throwing it on cement, right? It's not going to grow. And that's the wayside people. As this sower went out, remember, back in those days, they just scattered the seed. They just threw it. It, They didn't plant it in nice long uh, furrows. They just scattered the seed and and threw it away. And some of it, Jesus said, fell on ground that just was too hard for the seed to penetrate. It couldn't get through the, the outer crust of that soil. It was blocked by whatever had made that soil so hard. Now think about that as you think about the lives of people you're trying to reach. What does it take? I mean, I remember when I was a kid, there were dirt paths that led everywhere, right? We, when I grew, was growing up in a town called Elkton, Maryland, there was a, a place that we used to go. We used to get up in the morning in, su- in the summer get up and I'd help my friend Dave Smith deliver the, the newspaper on, uh, in the morning. And then a bunch of us, by about 8 or 8.30, we'd be at the field at, at the First Baptist Church in our town. They had a big field and there were two baseball fields and we played baseball all morning long. All morning long. Our shoes were soaked with dew. Uh, the ball became waterlogged. You always had to have more than one ball because the balls become waterlogged because the, of the dew. And we'd just keep playing, and we'd play all morning long. Well, come time for lunch, and we'd break, and I'd run home, and I'd make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, because every kid lives on peanut butter and jelly. That's the way it is, man. It's got, you get peanut butter and jelly, and probably some chips. And then I'd jump on my bike, and I'd meet my friends either out in front of my house or back at the field, and we'd ride to a place called Swifties. And Swifties was, uh, we had the Big Elk Creek that flowed through town. And there was a branch where uh, 
the Little Elk Creek met, the Big Elk, met, met this, other, this other stream, and they became the Big Elk Creek, okay? And right there was a big swimming hole. That's right, man, I swam in a swimming hole, okay? There's a big swimming hole that was like a huge pool. It was about 10 feet deep, and we had a, a rope swing, and we would jump. It was just a great time, just a great And the rope would go all the way out and around, and long before they ever had um, water parks, we had our own. It was a good time. To get to Swifties, you had to follow the worn out path. And the reason that path was worn out was because for years, for decades, juvenile delinquents just like me had walked to Swifties along that path over and over and over again, pounding down that soil, riding our bikes over it over and over and over again until we had worn all the grass away, turned it into near cement, and there was nothing that ever was ever going to penetrate that. Think about that and, and contrast that with the lives of people you're trying to reach who have been stepped on and walked over and run down by life all through their lives. Is it any wonder that it's very difficult for the gospel to penetrate the hard soil of their lives? They've been beaten down and beaten down and run over and beaten down. So many people in our, in our walks, in, the, in, in the, the lives that we live, have been told they're worthless, they're useless. They've been treated that way, and they've started to believe it. And they don't think that anything good can happen. You know what I'm talking about. Some people just don't think anything good can come their way because nothing but bad has happened. Those are people that life has worn down and made the outer shell hard. Now, if we were to go to that path down at Swifties and, and take a, a trowel or take a shovel and dig down five or six inches, it's not even that deep. I probably, probably wouldn't even have to go down five or six inches. Just a couple. We would find soil. And I guarantee you, if I took a, a two-by-two section and dug up that hard soil on top and put some seed in there, I'd have a garden. But penetrating that top soil that has been worn down by life is difficult. And those are the wayside people. People who, when the seed comes, it's scattered onto their life and it's spoken into their life, but their outer shell, the soil of their heart, is too, too tough to penetrate at that point. What do we do with people? These people are unbelievers. They've not accepted Jesus as their personal Savior because the, the gospel has not penetrated through to their spirit. They're not hopeless. They are simply without hope right now. What they need is someone to bring a little bit of hope into their life. What is their issue? Why don't they accept? Because listen, seriously, if we had a life-threatening disease, I mean, you've heard this illustration before, right? If, if you had a life-threatening disease and somebody had the cure for it, if you had cancer, if you had um, you know, diabetes, and, and somebody said, I've, I've got the cure, not a medicine that will help you, I have the cure. You take this one pill, Boom, it's gone, it's over, you're done, you're healthy. That part of your life is, an, is ancient history, and you can move on. How many of us wouldn't jump at the chance, right? I'd jump at the opportunity. So why, when we come to people like this, the wayside soil, why don't they accept the gospel right away? 
We're giving them hope. We're presenting hope to them. We're telling them the secret of eternity. We're telling them that somebody loved them. Man, nobody in their life has loved them ever. They've been told how horrible they are, told how ugly they are, told how worthless they are. They've been treated that way. So why, when we bring the gospel to them, do they not jump all over it? It's because, man, that, that soil of the, heart, of the topsoil of their heart has been beaten down. First thing I see is this. There's a lack of understanding of the true importance of the decision. They don't really understand. Ask yourself this. How many of you accepted Christ the first time you heard, him, heard about him? Many people have. I, I accepted Christ when I was around five years old. But it wasn't the first time. I was raised in church. And I went through Sunday school. And time and time and building, building, uh, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, as the Bible says. That, that faith, that need was built up in my life and understanding to the point where I finally said, yes, I need Jesus. Some people accept it the first time. Many people don't. Because the first time they may not realize the importance of the decision. We have some biblical examples. Felix, a ruler who Paul had the opportunity to speak to. Paul presented the gospel, had an amazing opportunity. He had an audience. Paul had a, 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 a court full of people to listen to him when he was speaking to Felix. What was Felix's response when Paul, when Paul the apostle, when Paul gave him the plan of salvation, go away now. When it is more convenient, I will call for you. Wow. Go, go away now. When it's more convenient, I'll call for you. Anyone ever been? Yeah, that's, that's like uh, when I used to be a telemarketer for MCI WorldCom. <laughs> hey, can you call me back tomorrow? Well, you know you're going on vacation tomorrow. Right? But people were trying to be polite and tell you don't call back again. That's what Felix said. Go away for now. When it's more convenient for me, you come back. He didn't understand the importance of it. We see Agrippa in that same time frame. Paul was then sent to Agrippa. And he had the same opportunity to have an audience before Agrippa. And he poured out his heart. You can read it in the book of Acts. He poured out the gospel from deep inside his spirit to Agrippa. And Agrippa, Agrippa looked at him, and he says, almost you persuade me. And some translations say, kind of put a little different twist on it, like Agrippa was kind of being tongue-in-cheek with Paul and saying, do you think you're going to persuade me that quickly? Isn't that the way many people respond to us? Come on. Come on. I, didn't, I wasn't born yesterday. You think you're going to change all my belief system? Listen, one of the reasons it's so difficult to reach people and they don't understand the importance today is because they are being given a false narrative of life. They are being told something explains. I had a conversation with somebody this week that was just dogmatic and evolution is proven. And it's this, and I said, no, it's not. And the attack came back viciously. It is. They have all this proof. This is the fossil record. I let him blow out his wind, and I said, read a little bit farther and find out how many holes are in the fossil record. And I said, by the way, you know what the fossil record doesn't include? What? The fossil record doesn't include any proof at all 
of one species changing to another species. So you tell me I came from a fish, which came from a paramecium, and became a chimp, and became a human being? I'm telling you, I want to see the proof. Don't tell me you see a fish back here that looked like it had legs. How do you know that wasn't a mutant? How do you know that wasn't a mistake? How do you know that that fish didn't, hadn't eaten something just before it died that caused its, I don't know, you know? I'm just being stupid now. But seriously, seriously, show me, show me the skeleton in the fossil record that shows me the transition from being a fish to being a monkey and from being a monkey to being a human being. I want to see it and all the things in between. You see, that's the problem. Today we're dealing with a society where 12 and 13 year olds can walk out of school and protest. I was talking to Melvin about this yesterday, and we were reminiscing about what would have happened to us if we would have walked out when, from school when we were 12. And my dad would have come down in the, middle of the co- in the middle of the crowd in the street and grabbed me by the back of my neck and said, you're going back to school, and we'll talk about this when we get home. We wouldn't have been publicized on the TV, okay? But we're living in a society right now in a place in the world where truth is not truth. So it's very understanding to, it's a very easy thing to understand that it's going to take with many people more than one time to break down and break through the hardness of that topsoil in their hearts. Then we see the rich young ruler who to Jesus himself said, uh, his response was, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Even the rich young ruler, when confronted by Jesus, walked away because he had so much, so many possessions. Another reason, another issue they have is indifference and then religious tradition. So how do we reach these people? Well, how do you reach those wayside people whose the, the crust on their heart is so hard? You be salt and light and you don't hide your faith. Can I tell you from a pastor who is trying his best to build a church with a group of people who love Jesus Christ, can I tell you what the death blow to the church will be, to our ministry will be, when you are ashamed of your faith? When you start hiding what you believe because it's not popular. When you start holding back what you believe with people that you talk to and people that you meet in the street or people that you work with and you start hiding that and you have your church persona and then you have your work or your neighborhood persona. I'm not saying you have to get a soapbox and stand up with the King James Bible and preach uh, preach to them in a three-piece suit. I'm saying you be salt and light in your community. How about this? You start living like a Christian and acting like one. And how about this? When we're living like one and acting like one, we turn around and start loving like one. And start worrying more about lost souls than we are about lost elections. Okay? That's salt and light. I'm telling you, you say, well, (laughs) Pastor John, I don't think you live in the real world. Man, I go to the gym over here, and I've got so many people I talk with. My workout goes from a a one-hour workout to like a a two-and-a-half-hour 
fiasco a lot of times. Seriously, man. Right? Come on, man. People like you talk to me all the time. I never start a conversation. Right? right? It's crazy. And, and the conversation, sometimes it could be a sports, but a lot of times they, the conversations get into politics. And, and people, because people think, because people find out that I'm a pastor, and I, listen, we're evangelical. I, I, didn't, I didn't sell that name tag. We're an evangelical church. We believe in sharing our faith. We believe that you have to be born again and that we have responsibility to share our faith. That's, evang- that's being an evangelical, okay? Proudly. But, but I tell them, but don't equate me with those who are radically out there make politicizing their, their, their faith. That's not me. If you want to know about it, I will loudly and proudly give you the plan of salvation in the middle of this gym. And I don't say that to them, but I'll go out and, and I'll share what I believe. And if, if Kurt Rao, the pastor of Heritage Baptist, just happens to be there when we're talking, we'll tag team. And we'll talk. Somebody asked us if we baptize babies. I said, no, we dedicate them. And Kurt went on to explain what that was all about. It was awesome. It was awesome. So we reach these people by being salt and light and not hiding, not hiding our faith. You can read Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Another way we reach them is to be there when it's convenient for them, even though it's inconvenient for us. Ministry is not always on a time schedule. Ministry is not always convenient. People don't have crises normally in a neat nine to five or on your lunch hour, okay? People need you at all times of the day or night. So if we're going to reach these wayside soil people, we're going to have to be willing to be there when it's convenient for them and maybe inconvenient for us. And then we have to keep trying to persuade them. Keep trying. Keep trying. Keep trying. Keep trying. Live in front of them. Share your faith. Show your faith. Love with your faith. Sometimes... Keep your mouth shut and let your life show it. Let your love show it. Sometimes, unfortunately, some people have to be brought to the point of crisis before they'll realize there's something missing in their life. And we need to be there for them. How are you able to be there? How are you able to have a voice of credibility at that point? Because you've been there through the whole time before. Because you've built that relationship and you've been salt and light to them all this time. And now, when everybody else abandons them, right? Because that's what happens a lot of times. Crisis comes up, a divorce happens, people pick sides, and, and everybody scatters. Except the true follower of Jesus who wants to break through that topsoil of the life and get down into where that seed can take root. Quickly, the second kind of soil is the rocky soil. Now, when he's talking about rocky soil, it's a rock covered with a thin layer of soil. You know what? There is way too much here. There's way too much here. Um, Let me just start real. We'll we'll just give you a taste of it. Uh, How about this? We'll get through the first two parts, and we'll get to how you reach them. Start that with that next week. Is that fair? All right? Now, rocky soil people. uh, The rocky soil is like... Seen a, been out in the woods and seen a moss-covered rock? Like, wow, how'd the moss get on the rock? Because there's a little bit of soil there. 
or our parking lot in the summertime. So if you drive by here, sometimes you'll see it lit on fire because I pour gas on the grass that grows up and light it. It's toxic, but I don't breathe it. <laughs> or we, we go through and I dig it out and, and pull it out and it's just, it's crazy. It'll only grow to a certain amount. It won't grow out wide, but it'll grow in the cracks of the soil, right? But it doesn't have any depth of root and it doesn't last very long because it's rocky. There's no real depth for the roots to go down. Who are these people? These are people who accept Jesus as their savior. These next three kinds of soils, all believers. They're all, be see why this, this parable is not about, not just about um, evangelism, it's about discipleship? Because three out of the four kinds of soil are people who have accepted Jesus as their savior. So the rocky soil people are people who have accepted Jesus and they've even followed for a while. They've accepted Jesus Christ and they follow for a while. But there's an issue and an issue comes up in their life. What is the issue? They become offended or discouraged because of the struggles of living the faith. Anybody know somebody like that? Man, I know people in my life that I've served with pastors that I've served with and ministered with. My dad and I sit down and talk about people that we've ministered with over the years and, and not in a gossipy way, but just talking about um, what, what took them down, the struggle that they had and, and they, where, where ministry just became so overwhelming that they just couldn't take it anymore. That they just didn't have a reserve to draw from. And it was easier to walk away than it was to try to overcome Many people in churches do that. They serve and they serve and they serve and they get involved, but then something comes in their life. Maybe it's the next level of growth. Maybe it's the next opportunity. Or maybe it's somebody that they've been charged to minister to. Something happens. Or maybe, just maybe, it's somebody that disappoints them. Many of you have been in churches where a pastor has had a moral failure. Many of you come from churches where the pastor is not sunshine and roses. And he treats people badly. I'll just leave it at that. And is more of a dictator than a leader. More of a dictator than a lover of people. And it's his way or the highway. And or there's a board that leads that way. And it, you, you've just, it, you get to your Popeye moment where you says, I've had all I stands and I can't stands no more. And I just can't keep doing this. And, and, and maybe your heart or their heart was pure and the motives of your heart were pure, but you just couldn't take what was required of you anymore. And it was easier to walk away than it was to stay in there. I get it. I understand it. I've dealt with people all through ministry. I grew up as a pastor's kid, okay? One of my favorite kinds of ministry, I think I shared this with the Bible study on Wednesday night, is when I get to talk with pastor's kids and I get to, to talk with them and share with them my experiences. And they, you know, they're 12, 13, 14 years old. And here's this old guy coming and says, hey man, I was just where you were. And I know what it's like. It is no picnic. It is not a piece of cake. It's one of the most difficult lives to grow up in because you didn't ask to be put in the fishbowl, but you're there. You want curtains, 
but there's no curtains in a fishbowl. And it just becomes so overwhelming that they walk away. They become offended or discourages, discouraged because of the struggles of living the faith. The changes, the sacrifices, and the commitments that are required cause them to quit. One of the things we, uh, Zach and I have talked a lot about in ministry as we've uh, ministered through these last almost 17 years trying to build new life is that we've got to be careful not to overwhelm people because we're a small church. We're a growing church. And what happens is churches see, we see the church across town or we see the church two towns over and we see what they have and we have to have it, right? And well, if you're going to have a ministry, somebody has to populate that ministry. Somebody has to lead that ministry. Who better to lead a ministry than a busy person? And we overload and overwhelm people to the point where it's just too much. And the demands and the commitments become too much. And they say, I just can't do it anymore. And rather than going through all the, 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 the equation of, of conferences and, and sitting down and conversations and people trying to woo them back, it's just, I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to leave. Maybe you've been at that point in your life. In truth, maybe you're there right now too. And you've come to new life. And we talk a lot. We talk a lot about growth. Listen, I, the day I stop talking about growth of a church, hopefully is the day that I reach out and reach up and touch wood. That means I hit a coffin. Okay? Because I want to be screaming from the rooftops that we need to build churches and build Christians and reach people with the gospel until the day I die. Maybe you've come to a place like this and it's intimidating. And you say, you know what? They've got, they've got VBS coming up. And I remember when, okay? This is what stops a lot of us, right? I remember when I committed to that in my old church. And it started the ball rolling that rolled over me and put me out of service. I remember when. And maybe that's where you're at right now. I remember when I opened up to those people and they just walked all over me and somebody gossiped about me and everybody knew my business. Listen, I can't change the past for you, but I can tell you this, at New Life, we want to keep things simple. <laughs> we don't want to be, we, we don't need to have a hundred different ministries. We want to do a few things and do them well. We want to be able to effectively minister. Just because somebody has something doesn't mean we need to. Okay? So we want to do a few things and do it well. And I want my people, Mike Aubrey is a, a friend of mine. He's my accountability partner. He's a dear friend of mine. Seen me through a lot of tough life. Mike is, is a deacon in our church. Mike also has other responsibilities in our church. Um, Mike uh, is, a, is a discipler. He's discipling people. At one time, he's discipled two, maybe three people at the same time. He's always got a list of people. He's got the next one in line and he's, because he's good at what he does. His wife, Barb, is uh, an officer in our church. Very active. Barb, dear friend. I knew Barb before I knew Mike, right? Barb and I worked together at IHOP in West Springfield. Best server I've ever seen in my life. Barb Aubrey. Yeah, yeah. Barb was amazing. 
Barb teaches school at Pioneer Valley Christian. Barb is a disciple here at New Life. Very busy. Barb is a counselor. She's got her degree in, in counseling. Barb is, is an active person. They've got a lot of things going on. This is a couple that I feel confident will do what I ask them to do. Not what I tell them to do, what I ask them to do. I love this couple more than they know. But I'll tell you what I won't do to them because I love them so much. I will not overload them. I, w- I can't overload them because Mike looks at me and says, nope, nope, I'm not going to let my wife do that. She's got too much on her plate. But I won't overload them. You know why? Because they're too valuable to lose. They're too valuable to, for me to destroy from overloading them with work. And I promise you, as your pastor, if you will trust me, that we won't overload you here. We'll help you to grow in ministry and fall in love with your faith. Again, those of you who have kind of fallen, fallen out of love with ministry, we'll help you to fall back in love with service. Not for the sake of serving, but because you get to serve the king of all kings and build his kingdom. Don't be afraid to get involved in ministry here. Next week, we'll pick it up and talk about how we minister to these kind of people. Because these next two soils, this is where a huge part of Christians today, even Christians that are in church, find themselves. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being in your house today. God, it's been a great time of fellowship and, and God, a great time of prayer, a great time of worship. Lord, it's truly been a great time to be in the body of Christ here at New Life. And Lord, as we look at our ministry, as we look at the opportunities that are before us, as we looked at all, of, uh, at all that's going on, uh, God, we see a lot of opportunities. But Lord, we also see a lot of lives that are broken and hurting. God, may we be able to see the trees in the forest and not miss them. May we see each number represents a life that needs to be reached. And God, may we understand what your word is telling us here in this parable about how to reach and minister to people who may be struggling and that every life matters and every life needs to be reached. Lord, I pray that you'll bless us as we go from here. God, I ask a special blessing on my mother and father. I, uh, God, I'm just so proud. 64 years of marriage and all that time ministering for the kingdom of God. I, I just can't, Thank you enough for the parents you gave me. God, would you bless them with a special time this week away. Pray that you'll allow us all to see the open doors in our lives so that we can be used by you. In your name we pray. Amen.